Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. When I was 13, my family went on a motorhome holiday to Maine. The family we were going to visit were friends with my stepfather. I had never met them before or even seen pictures. I was excited about the trip as we would be camping on the beach in our motorhome for a few days. Yeah, I know it's not really camping per se, but I was still intrigued by the concept. We arrived at night after a long day's drive from our home in Connecticut. It was about six hours. Our first night was uneventful. We just had dinner at the campsite and turned in early. The next day, we were to meet his family. Let's call them the Wilsons. After we arrived and introductions were made, coffee and snacks were served, Mr. Wilson told us that he wanted to take us to a cemetery some distance from our location. They also asked us to stay the night at their house. This sort of annoyed me, as I was into the idea of sleeping a full weekend in a motorhome and was kind of weirded out that they asked the four members of my family to stay at theirs. Anyway, this is the story Mr. Wilson told us as to why he wanted us to go to the cemetery with him. There was a middle-aged couple that lived in the town in which the cemetery stood. The husband was a horrible man, physically, verbally, and mentally abusive to his wife. Her only solace was her cat, the name of which I was never told. She died of a terminal illness and in her final days cursed her husband and said that she would haunt him forever. Shortly after she passed, her beloved cat did as well. Now those details were also not given to me, but I can imagine what fate that poor feline met. A few weeks after her burial, the image of a black cat appeared at the top of her headstone, and the town started to talk and gossip about it. The husband had the stone professionally sanded to remove the black silhouette of the cat, but it didn't work. It kept reappearing. Some years later, the husband died, and he was buried with her as they had shared a burial plot. The cat continued to appear on the gravestone and did so decades later. This was the reason we were going to the gravesite to see the cat's image. As we drove there, I stayed quiet and very skeptical. When we arrived at the beach adjacent cemetery, not the one we were staying at, the scene looked like it had been professionally staged for us It was truly unbelievable. A low fog covered the ground, 
and we walked up to a small sandy hill to find an ancient-looking wrought iron fence about waist high and a broken gate that we easily walked through. He led us through knee-high beach grass, passing through a small number of headstones, both old and new, until we reached our destination. There before us stood a headstone as tall as I was, a pinkish marble with the engraved names of both the wife and her abusive husband. My mouth practically fell open when I saw a perfect black silhouette of a cat sitting on the front of the stone, the top left corner. My whole family started nervously laughing about it, and when I sidestepped a few feet away to get an alternate view, the silhouette was now lying down, not sitting. This was the point at which I got very creeped out, and my three family members easily moved so that they could get the same view that I just had, and sure enough, they saw the same thing. At one angle, the cat would be sitting, and at another, lying down. I even went right up to the stone to rub my fingertips over the surface to feel for roughness and any sign that this cat was a fabricated thing. It was perfectly smooth, just like the story. I can't even really explain how odd it looked, like a foreign object or a stain, but one that looked completely natural. Unfortunately, this was decades before cell phone cameras and we didn't have any cameras with us. Dumb move, I know. The skeptic in me was prepared to find a way to explain away the shadow, but I just couldn't. And the fact that this image appeared in two different positions pretty much sealed the deal for me. I truly believe it was a paranormal happening. The image is burned into my mind, and I've been thinking about this for many, many years. Going back to the night at the Wilson's home, I was convinced that they were some kind of Satan worshippers, and I told my parents I was terrified of spending the night there, but I was instantly dismissed by both my mother and stepfather. The Wilsons separated us into different rooms, which made sense, but unnerved me. I stayed there all night, awake, on a sleeping bag, on the living room floor, waiting for something to happen, and listening to my step-grandfather snoring deeply on the couch next to me. I slept most of the drive back to Connecticut the next day, but I'll always remember this as one of the creepiest weekends of my life. Many years ago, I became a CNA, a certified nursing assistant. It was a straightforward job where we primarily cared for adults throughout the day. I've encountered my share of challenges, such as cleaning up after patients. However, this is part of the job and over time, one becomes desensitized to it. But my main focus here is not those routine tasks. I want to discuss my experiences with patients when they are nearing death, as strange events often transpire in the days leading up to that. To begin, I'll recount my first such experience. Out of respect for privacy and adherence to regulations, I won't use real names. 
Let's call this particular patient J. J was a retired Marine who had served during the Vietnam War and had later been a sheriff. Years of smoking had left a significant scar on his health, causing a hole in his throat. This made communicating challenging for him, but some of his words were still intelligible. A distinct change that often signifies an impending death is a peculiar odor emanating from a person. It's reminiscent of rotting meat. When I detected the smell around Jay, I sat down with him and engaged in a conversation about life. When I tried to steer clear of discussing death, the conversation inevitably gravitated toward that topic. Upon touching on it, Jay's demeanor changed dramatically. He raised his hand, indicating that I should stop speaking. After a deep breath, he managed to say, Last night, a man was in my room, tall and dark, wearing a top hat. I could see the palpable fear in his eyes. Neither his combat experience nor his time as a sheriff in the 80s had readied him for whatever he had witnessed that night. At a loss for words, I merely stared at him. He seemed quite distressed, but eventually resumed watching his TV program. Roughly an hour passed. Jay was in the living room, and I was in the kitchen, with the TV volume raised due to Jay's hearing challenges. We were both startled by an abrupt bang from his room. It wasn't a typical noise, more like the sound of meat being thrown forcefully onto the floor. It was such a distinctive sound. Even with Jay's hearing impairment, he heard it too. He looked over to me, raising an eyebrow. Assuming someone was in the house, I signaled Jay to stay put while I checked. I cautiously approached the hallway, noting a shadow under the door of his room. As I reached the door, I shouted, Get out of this house, now, or I'll call the police. I swiftly opened the door, only to find nothing out of place. Everything was as we left it. The windows and curtains were undisturbed. Despite a thorough search, the room was empty. Returning to Jay, I recounted the events. He simply responded, Dark man. I was paralyzed with fear, hesitant to turn around. When I finally did, there was nothing behind me. Yet Jay's gaze was fixed on the hallway corner, seeing something I couldn't. True to his fearless nature, Jay nonchalantly turned his attention back to his show, seemingly unbothered. Panicking, I scoured the entire house, checking every conceivable hiding spot. It was completely empty. My 12-hour shift was nearing its conclusion when the next nurse arrived. I briefed them on the eerie occurrences, leaving them equally unnerved, giving their impending overnight shift. I departed, deeply unsettled and riddled with questions. The following day, I received a call informing me that Jay had passed away overnight. He was discovered beside his bed by the overnight nurse, who had been alerted by a loud thud. Upon entering the room, 
they found Jay lifeless with no sign of breath or a pulse. Given his do-not-resuscitate DNR status, there was no recourse. Days later, we learned he'd suffered a heart attack and in an attempt to get out of bed, had fallen to the floor. The impact produced a sound eerily reminiscent of the one Jay and I had heard just the day prior. Now, I have a few more experiences, some more intense than others. I'll share a second one with you. I once provided live-in care for a man I'll call F. F was an older gentleman who resided in a 110-year-old Victorian home. A lifelong mechanic, he was highly intelligent. However, he was diagnosed with both dementia and Alzheimer's, a combination that often resulted in confusion and combative episodes. Still, when he wasn't affected by these conditions, he was remarkably sharp. One particular night, F seemed especially uneasy. When I inquired, he revealed that he'd been hearing unsettling noises that kept him from sleeping. I didn't give it much thought and assisted him to bed. After settling him in, I went to my own room and got ready for sleep. Just a few minutes later, I was jolted awake by a scream from F's room. Racing over, I found F in the corner of his bed, curled up in the fetal position, absolutely terrified. Turning on the light, I asked him to describe what had frightened him. F recounted seeing a demonic entity perched on his desk, describing its skin as charred black with sunken, abyss-like eyes. He claimed it had grinned at him. While it's essential for medical professionals to maintain composure, I was genuinely unnerved that night. To comfort him, I talked about God and prayed alongside him. Throughout our conversation, F kept stealing glances past me towards the desk, his face a mask of dread. When our talk concluded and I made my way to the exit, F, a man I'd always considered incredibly stoic, posed an unexpected request. Will you sleep on my bed with me? I was taken aback and responded in jest. Why would I? Before I could finish, he interrupted, the terror evident in his eyes. Because it never left, it's still there. While you were praying, it was mimicking you in a low, demonic tone. Now I'm completely spooked. Nothing could have prepared me for that response. I tried my best to maintain composure, remembering professionalism. I responded, Of course, but I'll sleep on the recliner in the corner. Needless to say, I didn't sleep at all that night. A few weeks later, one morning as I was helping F out of bed, he suddenly turned and stared intently at the old oak stairs outside the door. He was clearly distracted and remained silent throughout. As we descended the stairs, his gaze stayed fixed on the top. Once seated for breakfast, he suddenly dropped his fork onto his plate and leaned back. Looking me in the eyes, 
he pointed to the doorway in the kitchen and asked, Are those your nieces or something? Taken aback, I responded with confusion. What? He pressed. Those kids there, are they with you? A cold shiver ran down my spine, and chills spread from head to toe. Before I could reassure him that there were no children, a child's laughter echoed from the staircase. I jumped up in alarm. F then turned toward a corner of the room and addressed the wall, asking, How long have you been dead? Alarmed, I exclaimed, F, what the hell are you talking about? He continued, The children. Their clothes look old, and their faces are sunken. They look like they've been decaying for a long time. Overwhelmed, I stood up, explaining that I needed a moment, and quickly exited the kitchen. After collecting myself, I returned to find F unfazed, continuing with his breakfast. Many of my experiences have been unsettling, even horrifying, but what truly stands out is the mystery surrounding death itself. Its many uncertainties frighten many, primarily because the afterlife remains a mystery. We rely solely on testimonies from those who have briefly experienced death. I'm fortunate never to have come close to death personally, but I've witnessed its approach numerous times. Here's an account of the final hours of F's life. Months had passed since the kitchen incident. Not much had happened that was out of the ordinary, aside from the occasional noise in the house or footsteps on the oak staircase. Since most of the house had original wood floors and was about 110 years old, these anomalies weren't too concerning. I could only imagine the myriad events that had taken place in that old house over the years. During these months, F's health had steadily declined. He had reached a point where he neither talked nor ate. Hospice was now involved. For those who don't know, hospice is an organization that assists with those nearing death. Their primary goal is to provide comfort. Consequently, F was given frequent doses of morphine to ease his impending departure. One day, I entered F's room to check some routine vitals. Holding his wrist between my pointer and middle finger, I searched for a pulse. Hmm, strange, I thought to myself. His pulse was faint, what medical professionals refer to as a thread pulse, and it was slow. I started to count his breaths, silently noting each rise and fall of his chest. I don't recall the exact count, but I remember becoming alarmed. His breathing rate was far too low for adequate oxygen intake. Like many elderly individuals, F had a DNR in place, so there wasn't much I could do. Given his condition, I expected him to pass away within a few hours. Aiming to make his transition as comfortable as possible, I pulled up a chair and began reading a book to him. It said that hearing is the last sense to go. Even in a comatose state, people can often still register sounds around them. I was about halfway through the book. For context, due to the morphine, F had been in a comatose and fluid state 
unresponsive and unmoving. However, in what was undoubtedly the biggest shock I've ever experienced, F's eyes suddenly opened and rapidly scanned the room. He reached out and grabbed my arm tightly. My heart raced as his breathing grew more intense. His breathing was quick and shallow. I tried to pull away, but F's eyes fixed on mine. He had that thousand-yard stare, blank and without expression. He remained silent. I was petrified, frozen in place, staring deep into F's eyes. As his breathing slowed, a tear rolled down his cheek. Summoning my courage, I whispered, It's okay, F. It's time to go. Don't be afraid. I'm here with you. You are not alone. With that, he took one final, deep breath. I watched the life leave his eyes. It's challenging to articulate how one can literally see life depart from someone's gaze. His grip on my arm weakened, his hand turned cold, and it dropped to his side. Watching his last breath wasn't fearful, but more of a relief, as if a long struggle had finally ended. His eyes, once filled with fear, now had blank, dilated pupils. Even after passing, they remained open, staring into mine. I reached for his wrist, feeling its warmth fading. I searched for a pulse but found none. Checking his neck, there again was no pulse. His chest was still. Glancing at my watch, I noted the time, 1628. After jotting down the time of death, I called hospice. They promptly sent an RN to confirm the death. I then contacted F's only known trustee, a friend living hours away in another state. She instructed me to lock up the house and unplug the appliances. The ordeal was already traumatizing, but it wasn't over. The coroner arrived a few hours later, bringing with them a gurney and a body bag. The distinct smell that emanated from the bag, a combination of death and an overpowering cleaner, is one I'll never forget. The coroner's team went to F's room wrapped him in his bedsheets, and carefully placed him on the gurney. They cleaned his hospital bed, handed a form to the RN and me to fill out, and left as swiftly as they had arrived, with F's body in tow. F had been single, without children or known family. His passing marked the end of a family line. The RN bid me farewell, leaving me alone in that vast, silent house. I went about securing the place, locking doors and windows, turning off lights, and unplugging appliances. As I entered F's room again, the coroner's scent still lingered. I sat in the chair, previously positioned by his bedside, lost in thought for what seemed like hours, reflecting on all that had transpired. The weight of it all bore down on me. Honestly, I spiraled into depression for some time afterward, questioning everything I knew about life. Watching someone's life slip away 
while staring them directly in the face messes you up. I'm a 23-year-old male, and now that I'm grown up, I'm starting to feel the gravity of many things that happen and have happened around me. Being a curious person, I like to investigate things. I like to make my own theories around them. Well, yesterday morning, I started having this conversation with my mom about theories on what dreams actually are and what science says about them. In the midst of that conversation, I suddenly recalled an incident that happened with her many years ago. And my mom is not at all a person who likes to make things up. She's always very skeptical of superstitions, and I, and only I, know that if she claims watching something with her own eyes, which freaked her out and froze her to death, she is speaking the truth. It happened around 12 years ago. My family was going through a financial crisis, and we used to live in my maternal grandmother's house back then. Now, recently, a thief had also been sighted in the house who ran away in a panic because of the fear of being caught. Many scary things were happening, and we were very serious about them as they were causing our family a lot of stress. I didn't get to know exactly when and how, but one evening, my mom told my grandma that she saw this hairy demon in the bathroom. As I was a stupid 11-year-old back then, I took it as a fun horror story, and I just let it be. When I recalled this incident yesterday, I decided to ask about the details from my mom, so I asked her to describe the appearance of this thing. She told me it was sitting on the floor of our bathroom. She said it looked like a, quote, early man, she told me it was so gigantic that when it stood up on its legs, it easily reached the ceiling. She froze and started screaming for help from my dad. This creature took only a couple of very, very long strides and disappeared. She says that she doesn't recall too many details about how this thing actually disappeared, though. I asked her why she called that thing a demon. She said it's because that's what her first guess was. I asked so you mean to say that it looked like a caveman? She said, no, it wasn't a man or a human in the first place. A beast? I asked. Yes, she said. She told me that it had very long hair all over its body, and the hair had a soil-like color. Immediately, my brain said, Bigfoot. Then I googled Bigfoot, and I showed her some images. She said, that it looked the same as those images. I was shocked to hear this. The thing is, I'm from India. Nobody has ever heard of any Bigfoot sightings in India, let alone in an urban environment and in one's bathroom. As weird and illogical as this incident sounds, it really happened. My mom rarely believes in things like these and is always very serious about life. She has never been attention-seeking or anything like that, and this incident never helped her in any way. So what do you guys think about this incident? How can one see a Bigfoot-like creature in one's home 
which then disappears and is never seen again. Could it be something else? My grandpa passed away unexpectedly when I was 37 weeks pregnant with my daughter. He was a kind and caring man who loved making anyone laugh, especially us grandkids. He was looking forward to meeting his great-granddaughter and had just talked with my dad about that the day he passed away. When he passed, I was devastated that he would never get to meet her. Fast forward to almost two years later, I had taken my daughter to a nearby beach one day and we were grabbing some ice cream. My daughter pointed to the display shelf of straw sun hats right next to the register and said, Papa. I stopped in my tracks. That was what I used to call my grandpa and he was well known for wearing those straw sun hats whenever he went outside. I asked my daughter what she said and she repeated herself exactly the same way. I was almost brought to tears in the middle of the ice cream shop. We had not really spoken about my grandpa to her or shown her any pictures of him because she was still pretty young, so I knew there was no way she could have known that he always wore those hats. We walked out of the store and I called my mom to tell her the story. When I was finished, she said, You know it's your grandpa's birthday today, right? I lost it. That was all the proof I needed to know that my grandpa is still close by, watching over my daughter. I believe that was his way of letting me know he was still around. I'm so glad he got to meet my daughter, after all. About a month ago, my boyfriend and I were on the couch at our house watching a scary movie at around 9 p.m. He has two phones, a personal and a work phone. Once we finished the movie, I said that I was going to get the shower going and wait for him to join me. He was going to call his daughter to tell her goodnight. He used his personal phone to call her, leaving his work phone on the couch alongside his personal one once he hung up. He came to check on me in the shower and told me that he would be in after he grabbed some clothes and a towel. However, after going back, he noticed that his personal phone was missing from the couch. He was only gone for about a minute from the living room to come to the bathroom. He spent another five minutes looking everywhere for it in the house and even tried calling it from his work phone several times before giving up and getting into the shower with me. About 30 minutes pass and he finally tells me about the incident. We don't think anything of it since I promised to help him find it after we get out. However, once we got out, we spent another five minutes tearing the house apart. Still nothing. He and I both called his personal phone several times. But we couldn't find it anywhere. We couldn't hear anything. I finally have the idea to try and ping it using the shared location services, and that's when it shows up. 
claiming to be in the neighbor's front yard. He thought that I was joking with him until I showed him my screen. Neither of us had left the house. Both the front and back door still remained locked from when we got home earlier that day. I thought he was actually the one pranking me, but he promised he wasn't. I stood in the doorway as he got his jacket on and went outside with his work phone, using it as a flashlight. He also called his personal phone with it. He looked around for a while, but then I watched as he bent down, dug into our neighbor's bushes, and retrieved his flashing personal phone that lit up from the incoming call. It had been raining, and it was very muddy, yet his phone was completely dry and seemingly untouched when he retrieved it. As he called it, the phone didn't make any sound. It just buzzed. Yet, when he double-checked that he kept the ringer on, thinking that it got turned off, it was still on, as it should have been playing his ringtone. But it never did that entire time that we looked for it. To this day, we cannot explain how it got outside in the span of five minutes, never rang even though the ringer was on, was still dry after sitting in the rain and mud for about 40 minutes total, and how it ended up being buried in the neighbor's bushes. Ever since this incident with the phone, more strange things have happened. Things have been knocked over in the middle of the night. I hear footsteps when I'm home alone. And I see things out of the corner of my eyes, and the scariest one yet. We have light fixtures that you click on and off, like flat buttons, not the switches. Well, he and I were sitting on the couch in the living room, and all of a sudden, the lights in the dining room began to turn on and off. The creepy part was that the buttons were being clicked rapidly and too loudly. I would have chalked it up to faulty wiring if it were just the lights that were going crazy, but the buttons were physically being pressed and making noise as well, as if somebody were pressing it on and off very quickly. He said that he had never experienced anything like this in this house before. It only started happening after I moved in. I'm beginning to think it's some sort of entity. It might be attached to me, I don't know. I've had other paranormal experiences before as well. The stories I narrated were definitely a bit heavy-hearted, but I think there's some beauty behind death and a lot to explore in the stories themselves, but yeah. first of all, a big thank you to Joseph for sharing how the patient's deaths impacted you and for the work that you do. I definitely felt that. I don't think I could ever be a nurse. Whenever somebody I vaguely know dies, I enter a minor existential crisis about my own mortality seems to be the same case for Joseph. So hats off to you for continuing to do what you do. Yeah, definitely. That was a rough one. I felt bad for J and F. Yeah, and I don't think it's fair to dismiss their experiences as hallucinations just because they're old or losing their minds or something. We've both have had a handful of family members die who weren't at their sharpest when they passed, but Seeing the hat man is just too specific and a recurring phenomenon to be a coincidence. Most people seem to live to tell the tale, but in this case, it was almost like he was a grim reaper of sorts. 
scary stuff. Yeah, I'm more and more convinced that shadow people are demons or re- reapers or some kind of definitely they're definitely just evil. Um, I don't I don't think there's any way around that. No, I don't see how they would be a good omen of any sort. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your stories. This is a little sad. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, well, before we get to my stories, I want to talk about, so we missed last week's outro for that episode. And, uh, that was my fault. Um, I, I have a chronic pain issue that comes and goes. It's been quite a, quite a while. I want to say maybe three years since I've had a flare up this bad, but Oof. yeah, it was really, really bad. So I would just didn't have the mental fortitude to even have a conversation uh, mm-hmm. during that week. It was rough. It's still rough. I'm still recovering. I'm not 100%, but we'll get there. Um, but before it all happened, I was feeling really stressed out. Like you said, we've both had some deaths in the family, mine being this year. It's been a very hard year. And I just decided, you know, I'm going to try something new because I've always been into meditation, um, yoga, all kinds of different things to help with anxiety and stress. So I went to a Tibetan sound bath. Oh, you went to an actual sound bath area. You had like a practitioner perform the sound bath on you? Yeah, like the real thing. You'd think so. I was really excited. Um, So I show up and it's this really big, beautiful room. And in the corner, they have all of the bowls and the gong and the bells and everything mm-hmm. set up. Tuning forks and all that. They Yeah. So they have you come in, put your yoga mat out and just kind of meditate for a while, get in the zone. And then they have you lay down. And then she started to do the bowls. And at first I was like, oh, okay, well, it's just, you know, what I thought about Tibetan sound bath is just going to be kind of like a minor old beats type thing where it just makes you relax. That's what I was thinking. The yeah. way that the bowls reverberated in that big room it made it sound like it was everywhere like she was right next to your both of your ears like stereo it was really weird it it sounded like i had speakers right behind me but there was nothing it was just an empty room it's like seeing a symphony in the right type of room it's just magical yeah the acoustics make all the difference with the room that you're in it's very cool i did have a relaxing experience but it also was a bit stressful for some reason, it just kind of brought out some very stressful emotions from me. And I left feeling conflicted. Um, hmm. It was weird. I was sitting in the car. I just kind of sat there for a while before I drove home. And I felt relaxed. Like my body felt relaxed because I did meditation and some yoga poses. But later that night, I started getting chills. And I got a really bad headache. My eyes started getting really dry. And I started getting fatigued. And I just had it i felt i thought i was getting sick i took a covid test like i thought that i was something was very wrong with me i did not feel right that is strange because that's supposed to realign your energy to be healthy and happy and realign your chakras i guess but it seems like maybe they misaligned you or something i don't know um the next morning i woke up and i started having a chronic pain flare-up again Hmm. and i'm not blaming on i'm not blaming it on the sound bath but something happened there that, I don't know if it's a purge or whatever, but something happened there where a lot of negative feelings were brought to the surface. Uh, right, right. And if it is a purge, I'm never doing it again because I don't ever want to purge. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not happy with it. I'm never going to go back ever. I don't care if it's good for me and this is a purge and this is something that I needed to go through. I don't care. It's not worth it to me because this has just been terrible. Um, but that was the reason for a hiatus 
Uh, I'm bl- okay. Yeah, I'm gonna blame it on the sound bath. Never going back. Wow, correlation is causation in this case. Yeah, that's okay though. Yeah, definitely. Our well, our brains always want to find you know causation, and we find it right. in correlation. It's just human. You know what I mean? It is. It is. So I'll go with it. I don't want to assume I have misophonia. I think that's how you say it in the same sense as others who have been properly diagnosed, but. I can say that sound has one of the biggest impacts on how I respond to my environment. Yeah. I can tune out a lot of things like the weather or feeling hungry, but hearing somebody reaching into a bag of chips when I'm trying to read something makes me have a minor meltdown. It drives me up the wall. Yeah. Maybe a certified sound bath experience is what I need. Maybe. Maybe not for you, but maybe it's for me. I can't recommend it to anyone, but uh, <laughs> I'm like one in a million. Everyone that I've read, I, every review I've read about sound baths and everyone that talks about it says it's such a great experience. I've seen a handful of people that have had similar experiences to me where it just, it brings something to the surface and it's dark. Hmm. It's bad. Yeah. Maybe you're playing with the dark arts there. Yeah. But I, like I said, I had uh, a really stressful year, like probably one of the most stressful in years and everything just kind of came to the surface and it's been really hard. So I think that it probably just contributed. Maybe it was like the tip of the iceberg for me, but um, I have been walking a lot. I found that walking is my new favorite hobby and it's so beneficial. And inexpensive. Exactly, even more so than running. Um, I'm finding it way more beneficial because I'm sleeping better. I'm more limber. I have time to kind of meditate and think while I walk, I'll listen to an audiobook. I've been doing like, like four or five miles a day, which is a lot because it takes a lot of time. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's been helping a lot. But I want to bring this back around to Mark's story about his black cats uh, or his black cat on the gravestone. Um, For some reason, maybe it's because we're getting close to Halloween and I've lived in this neighborhood for a year. I ain't never seen a black cat in this entire time and I walk almost every day, same route. I'm seeing black cats every night, tons of them. They're just popping Whoa. up everywhere, crossing my path, running right there in front go. of me. Yeah, tons of them. I don't know where they're coming from, but it's literally just been in the last week since Mark sent us that story. And I, it's another correlation causation thing. I'm, I'm finding a connection here. And uh, I think it's it has something to do with Halloween. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but. <laughs> a sound bath with some unclean water, perhaps, and yeah. sneaky cats. They're going to get you. Some cats are evil. Even though I'm a cat person, I can concede the fact that there are some evil cats out there. Um. Let's talk about Bigfoot in the bathroom. Oh, yeah, I like that. That took place in India. You don't really see or hear about Bigfoot in India. No, I've never heard of a story of Bigfoot in India, though a lot of different regions in the world have their versions of Bigfoot, like the Yeti, uh, you mm-hmm. know, there's the abominable snowman, I guess. Right. Like there's a lot of different, you know, the Yowie, Sasquatch, you can call it whatever you want. It appears all over the world. I don't see why it wouldn't appear in India. It's just not common. I always thought of Bigfoot as an interdimensional being. Um, There are so many stories out there on the internet of people's experiences with Bigfoot where he just like phases out. He just disappears. I think that he's probably, I say he, it could be a she. I think that Bigfoot is probably some type of being that exists in a dimension close to ours that phases in and out, kind of like shadow people, kind of like aliens. I think they all kind of exist in, in our world, but just beyond it. And sometimes we get a glimpse of it. That's why we don't have any physical evidence of Bigfoot 
because we just can't get it. We get those like footprints every once in a while, but who knows? I mean, it's a footprint, quote unquote. That could be anything. Uh, Last story, uh, the missing phone. So this isn't an uncommon phenomenon. We've talked about disappearing objects plenty. Uh, You can't find your keys and all of a sudden they appear, you know, in plain sight, that type of thing. Right, right. And then you avoid a fatal car accident or... Or like on 9-11, the pe- there's so many people that, that were like, my babysitter was late or my car yeah, broke down yeah. and they were going to be in one of the buildings. It's just, yeah, wild stuff. So when I first started reading that story, I thought, oh, okay, this is just a missing item phenomenon. We don't know what it is. Maybe that things drop into another dimension and reappear. Who knows? Maybe it's a guardian angel. We've kind of gone over that ad nauseum. But when things got really weird was when they found it in the bushes in the neighbor's yard while it was raining and it was completely dry and it didn't ring until he was close to finding it when he called it from the other phone like they called it a bunch of times and they didn't hear it ringing they would have heard it in the neighbor's bushes it was just a very weird situation but then to top it all off they start getting flickering lights in the house which is a clear sign of a haunting or a trickster spirit of some sort. Mm, don't tell me that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> this light's been flickering a lot lately. It's just an LED bulb, so I don't feel like it should be flickering like a regular Edison bulb or whatever. But yeah, I've been getting some flickers. Well, the thing about this is you don't normally hear switches being flipped or pressed. You just see the oh. light flickering. They saw, you know, it was like a flat button that you press to turn the lights on and off. They Mm -hmm. saw it being clicked on and off, in and out, like physically, really fast. It was like this invisible entity was standing there physically pressing the buttons to mess with them. Um, But I I think that you might have a trickster spirit with you. I wouldn't be scared, but I would definitely do some research on that type and see what could be done about it. But that's my guess. I have my Palo Santo and Sage and all this other Mm -hmm. stuff on my speakers right here, so... I think I'm all right. Maybe it's a, a happy entity of some sort. Just wanting to spread some love and joy. I refuse. I refuse to allow anything bad to enter my life after that incident. I've been good ever since then, so we're good. Good positive affirmations. Absolutely. Amazing what they can do to your reality. Yep. Anyways, thank you for listening. Uh, this week you have heard Headstone Black Cat by Mark. My Old Job as a CNA by Joseph 566. Bigfoot in the Bathroom by Abel Calligrapher 74, My Daughter's Guardian Angel by Brooke, and finally, My Boyfriend's Phone Disappeared, Possibly a Glitch in the Matrix by Embarrassed Medium 153. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Don't forget, if you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com and we'll take a look. Finally, if you want to get access to all of our episodes at a higher bit rate for the best listening experience, all ad-free, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails to sign up and support the show today. Don't forget to check out the new episodes of my other podcasts like Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, Welcome to Paradise It Sucks, and the old-time radio cast all over at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you all next week. Everyone stay safe. Peace out.